take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin this week where we left off last week. If you're a student of the scriptures, you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all detail the same events of Jesus from a different angle. The one story of Christ with, I like to use the word emphasis, different emphasis on certain points that stuck out to that particular writer. Luke here leads us from the temptation of Jesus where he was tested and tried right to a church service. Jesus leaves the trial and goes right to church and begins to teach. You see, he's a rabbi, a pastor, a shepherd, a friend who brought heaven down to earth. Now, if you read the other gospel writers, you'll know that on the way to church, on the way to that service was the wedding feast at Cana and some other miracles and some other interactions with people. Jesus was immediately involved in the lives of humanity. But as Luke kind of helps us to see what he brings to the surface for us this train of thought, it's as if Jesus goes right from the testing ground to his first day at work as a pastor, as a preacher. His first day on the job, standing up at a synagogue and preaching a sermon. And he sits down then, and at the end of the sermon, they actually grab him and they take him outside the city at Nazareth to kill him, throw him off of a cliff. Now, I don't know how your first day on the job goes, but that's not exactly where we want to go, is it? I remember my first day on the job ever, age 13. Mark Watkins, the owner of Subway here in Newport at the time, called my mom. He couldn't call me. There was no cell phones at that time. Called my mom, said, I want your son to work for me. Where is he? And I was staying the night at Chet Ben's house. And so my mom got a hold of me and said, get home. You're going to work. And I said, mom, I'm doing just fine. I don't want to work. I don't need a job. And she said, that's not the question. Get in the car. And so I went to work the next day at Subway. And it was the worst day of my life. I'm not kidding you. I thought I was going to die, just a 13-year-old kid, six-hour day, just making Subway sandwiches, and I promised myself, I'll never come back here again. And Mark, 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 Mark Watkins, he talked me into coming back the next day. He said, he's going to pay you to be here. You realize that, right? There's a paycheck involved. And I continued to work there, and Mark taught me many of the things I know to this day, and I worked there for the next four years of my life and learned tons and all. Listen, your first day, though, this is Jesus, if you would, in Luke's account. He was baptized by John the Baptist, driven right into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days, won during those temptations and testings, comes forth valiant and victorious, and goes right into the workforce of saving people, presenting himself as the Messiah. I want you as worshipers of Jesus and those who study him to then emulate him, to model him, to go through life the same way he did, the old WWJD bracelet, what would Jesus do? Well, after a trial and a temptation, he would rise up and he would go to church to serve, not to be served. And he would go to the word and he would go to his own people and he would use the tests in his own life as a testimony to strengthen other people. And so too in your lives here this morning, you're going through tests. This might not be your first day on the job. You might've been a Christian for a year or two or 10. You think you got some stuff figured out. Well, guess what? Trials and temptations are coming your way. If you're going to be real honest with me, you're in the middle of one right now, some, some way, whether it's internal, emotional, could be financial. You just, I ah, guess, man, the finances, the finances, it could be marital, the marriage, the marriage, it could be parental, the kids, the kids, where are the kids? You know, whatever. What? Pressure, problems, trials and temptations and tests. And Luke, the author, wants us to see Jesus in all of this. What would Jesus do? Such a great question, right? What would Jesus do? Well, he would get targeted by the devil. He would get tempted. 
He would get tried. It would be difficult for him. I don't like that. I don't like telling people, hey, welcome to Christianity. Here's a helmet. You're going to need this. You're going to need a shield too. Uh, here's a sword. You're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> You're at war, bro. It's going to get nar-nar. <sighs> and lives are at stake. And God wants to work in you so he can work through you. And the only way he can really work in you so he can work through you is to break you down, to, to get you to that real place. Okay? That, and that, how do you get to that real place of brokenness? There's a lot of different routes. Okay? A lot of different routes. And it's difficult and hard and narrow. And very few people find it. It's, it's the pathway. And as we, even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're still at the beginning. This is just chapter four. Luke goes all the way to 24 in his whole life. And here he shows up at Nazareth, his hometown. Where, where does Jesus start his ministry, if you would? J Jerusalem, the temple. No, he goes right home to maybe the hardest place to navigate your Christianity, the, the hardest place to minister grace, mercy, and kindness at home with the people that know you best and that you know the best as well. And Jesus shows that to us, moms and dads here today, husbands and wives what would Jesus do? He would be targeted and tested and tempted and tried and he would rise victoriously and then he would respond. And we're gonna study it through methodically and make applications along the way. But before we get there, let's pray and ask God to open up our hearts to minister to the brokenhearted and the blind and the oppressed. Father, in Jesus' name, we are going to get into your word now and I pray in your name that you would open up our eyes and our hearts that you might do a greater work within that you might set us free, Lord, from lies, from bondage, from fear, from mistakes, Lord, and from conceptions that aren't from you. And in Jesus' name, Lord, deal with us even as you see fit today. We submit to you, all of us. We're here. We showed up to church. We drove across the bridge or up the coast or from inland or came by sea. We're here. And I pray you'd be pleased in that. And now we as students wouldn't just check off that box, done it, but instead we would say we're doing it. Now bring to us, Lord, great, great joy and great clarity and great direction. I pray for myself, Lord, that you would use me for your glory, by your will and your purpose, and by your power. I need all of that, want all of that, I submit to all of that, I trust you for all of that, and all of us together seek you as one, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. I'll tell you what, the more you submit yourself to the word and to the story and life of Jesus, the more you fall in love with him, the more you just, you're impressed with him. I've been studying the life of Jesus now for a while. I get more and more impressed with Jesus. Life gets more and more crazy. Doesn't, doesn't let up. Does it, does it let up for anybody else out there? How do you do that? Does it, does it, no, it doesn't let up for anybody. And Jesus remains and stays the same. And we saw him get tested and tempted and targeted and tried. Look at verse uh, 13 of chapter four. This is where we left off last week. It's where we'll begin. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, that sounds crazy, he departed from him until an opportune time. Done for now, see you tomorrow. Same time, same place, same channel. And the devil would come back, just like the devil comes back to you. And when you fight in victory and you rise up and you win, just a, just a matter of time until you go dukes again with the devil. Why is that? Why do we go through the stuff we go through? And why did Jesus go through what he went through? I'll tell you what, number one is to empathize with others. 
See, Jesus went through this 40-day struggle in order that he would empathize with you. He would know what it's like to be in your shoes. You need to get that. Some of you feel very alone and isolated today. Your situation is so unique to you, the way you were raised, the way you were born, the way you look, the way you sound, feel, and smell, and I don't know if anybody gets it. Jesus does. He's like, I've been there. I've been worse than you, and I love you, and I know what you're going through, and I'm on your team. He empathizes with you, and he cares, and he loves you. Not just to empathize, Jesus didn't do it just so he knows what it's like. He did it to substitute for you. Because in your trials, temptations, and your targeting, and your testing, you and I, we, we fail sometimes. We blow it. Our flesh comes out. I can't believe that was there. Guess who didn't blow it in the trial and temptation? Jesus Christ. He says, not only do I know what you're going through and I can empathize, but I can substitute for you. In your imperfections and failures, guess what? If you believe in me, I'm gonna pay for that. I'm gonna give you my perfection. I did it. I went toe to toe and I won. And the third reason, this is what we're gonna focus on primarily today, is not just to empathize uh, with others or to substitute for others, but to model to others. Jesus went through this testing and then came out the other side in order to be a model for you and I. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to go through this? I feel like I'm being tested, targeted, and tried and tempted. Cool, so did Jesus. And he rose up, went to church, got in the word, and went to other people that believed in the same things. He found fellowship with them. Now, before we move beyond this, I wanna recap those three temptations that Christ went through. That is the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. It's the same thing Eve was tempted with. It's the same thing John tells us in 1 John chapter two that the devil uses in our lives. The lust of the flesh, that is what our flesh wants. Listen, what our flesh wants, or your flesh wants lots of stuff. Not all of it's bad. As a matter of fact, to want stuff isn't bad, but the lust of the flesh that wants stuff instead of God, instead of the word. Jesus took this lust of the flesh temptation and told the devil, I'm not gonna take these rocks and make Subway sandwiches out of them or Whoppers or bread, bagels, whatever, manna. I'm not doing that. His answer was, instead of doing that, selling out to this lust of the flesh, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The point is not so much that the things of the world are bad. You ever been to a church like that? The point is, is that the things of God are so good. That's the point, parents, okay? That's the point. It's easy to tell your kids, watch out for this and watch out for that, and that's bad, that's bad, slap the hand, that's bad, that's bad. Listen, that's maybe true and fine. Jesus's point was, ah, you shall, shall not be living and satisfied by all the worldly things, but by God's word, God's presence, God's power. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but God's word is sweeter than honey, okay? It's bright and light and it's fresh and right. It's awesome. And when you get into God's presence and God's word, it's not so much that you have to say no to all the things of the lust of the flesh. You just have to say yes to God. And all those other frivolly things, they lose their temptation, they lose their value, they lose their pull. See, Satan only has three hooks that he puts in the water for you and I. Upon those three hooks are myriads of bait, all kinds of ways to tempt you and I. Well, maybe I'll find my fleshly satisfaction fulfilled in this, or this, or that, or them, or they. Have you gone that route only to find out, eh, it's like eating donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? But you all know, nah. That's gonna make me feel weird. That's not gonna go well, that's the problem. And you know that, you figure that out. I, I'm gonna say no to that. I know it's gonna taste good right here, but eventually it's going to, in the things of the world, well, the, the lust of the flesh, that was the first temptation, those hooks. And I'll, let me ask you a question before I continue on this so I can make sure you're listening. How many of you guys were tempted this week at all? Tried, tested, 
How many of y'all left your hands down and just lied to me? That's okay. <laughs> I, I get it. Listen, you know this. You're, you're, maybe you're ashamed because you were tested and tried and you bit on the hook or whatever. I don't know. Let me just tell you right now, you were tested, tempted, and tried all week long. There were so many hooks in the water and bait flying around. And God says, I want you to be a, a healthy fish that doesn't need that stuff, that smells and says, you know what, I know, I know it's on the other side. That's a hook. I, maybe this is a hook. Maybe the devil's trying to mess me up. Maybe I'm learning something. Maybe I'll say no to that and yes to the things of God. Ding, 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 ding. And you find yourself safe from those, getting, from those hooks in your jaw. So I want you to understand this and keep this picture in your mind as you navigate through this week's challenges. And I believe the Lord's gonna alleviate us from our bondages and from our, our traps and all. Well, not just the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes. Jesus was taken upon this high vista and shown all the systems of the world and their authority and glory. And the devil said, I'll give all of this to you. Listen, if you just worship me, just worship me, just bow down to me. And God responded to him, you shall not worship anything except the Lord your God. Now, here's the deal. Maybe this will make sense over lunch. Talk it over with your life group people. All of us in here are worshipers at all times. That is, we give our devotion and our attention and our affection, and our hope, and our purpose, and our energy to something at all times. We're all, we're something. Whether it's a person, whether it's a hobby, whether it's an activity, we are looking to serve and be served by something. It's worship. You might not see it that way. Maybe you think worship is what we just did with our hands raised and eyes closed singing songs to Jesus. It was. But so too, what you find yourself daily looking for satisfaction in. Maybe this will do it. And you give yourself over to the things of this world. And Jesus responded to Satan in verse eight, get behind me, Satan, it's written, we shall worship the Lord God and him alone. Careful about the flashy things of this world that get you to live and die and serve their purposes. I, I don't cast shame and judgment. I'm too weak to do that. I know myself. But I do have observation and I do see people, even myself, give myself fully over to the things of this world. And I see people running hard after things that I know are just flashy hooks in the water that aren't truly what you were designed to worship. And it really only takes you getting to the end of that route until you realize, what am I doing here? Serving this thing, hoping in this thing. Jesus said, no, I'm not gonna do that. I am going to, though, worship God and him alone. The last temptation, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh was the pride of life. Jesus was taken up to the temple and the devil said, why don't you just throw yourself off? And what'll happen is, is the angels, they're commanded to catch you. And so they'll catch you. Everyone's gonna see it. They're gonna freak out and they're gonna subscribe to your YouTube channel. Everyone's gonna freak out and they're gonna like your post and they're gonna share it. They're gonna subscribe. They're gonna comment. They're gonna follow. You'll be instantly famous. The pride of life. It used to be back in the day that only a small portion of people were famous. Remember those days? You had to actually be famous to be famous. Now you can just be famous by being on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. You can go viral for all the wrong reasons, you know, and your video can make and you can have a billion views and you're, you really don't want people to see you doing whatever you're doing that many times. The temptation though, to be famous, to be influential, to, to have notoriety. And Jesus said, I'm not doing it that way. It's not about the pride of life. I'm not gonna fall into that by tempting the Lord and getting ahead of him. Did you know, by the way, that Jesus... So cool. Jesus would go on to be the most popular, influential, and powerful figure in the world, in the history of humanity. And it wasn't through selling out, through a shortcut. Please listen. This is for you young people and you old people, especially young people. If you want to be influential, if you want to have power, if you want to 
have, have some influence on people, it's through obedience and integrity. And as you stay the course with obedience and integrity, okay, you will be influential. God will give you a platform. You'll find yourself being used in other people's lives. There's a temptation to sell out and to run a shortcut to get to the front of the pack. Well, Jesus didn't fall for any of those hooks and any of that bait. He said no to all three temptations, the lust of the flesh, that which would take us away from our satisfaction in the Lord. Let me just simply say, Isaiah 26.3 says, he whose mind is stayed on the Lord is kept in perfect peace. You want perfect peace? It's not in your house or your home or your vehicles or your status or your, your finances or your, your relationships. He whose mind, I'm, I'm not messing with you. He whose mind is stayed on the Lord is in perfect peace. The Bible says to set our mind on things above and not on things on the earth below to focus on the things of heaven. Everything else down here is a rabbit's trail, rat race, fool's errand. It's gonna be that way tomorrow, next week, and the week after. It's just, it, mark my words. Don't go down that path. Jesus, what would Jesus do? He said no to all of that. The lust of the eyes, that which causes us to worship other things than the Lord and the pride of life, that which uh, makes us to want other people to think highly of us instead of being concerned of what the Lord thinks of us. Isn't it crazy how consumed we are with what other people think of us? You walk into a building or a grocery store or church, like, I wonder what they're thinking of me. What are they th- if I do this, what will they think of me? Did you know that they're thinking about what you're thinking of them? <laughs> Nobody's actually thinking about you. Everyone's thinking about what you're thinking about them. Everyone's doing the same thing. I wonder what they think about me. I wonder what they think about me. If I put this, what are they going to think about me? What are they- and they're thinking about what you're thinking about them. Nobody's thinking about each other. It's a big trick. Careful, careful. <laughs> Well, this all went down in fasting and in trial and in difficulty. The Bible says in other places that at the end of this temptation that the angels ministered to Jesus, that he was tired, he was hungry, he was beat up, he was beat down. Sounds kind of poetic to go through this, all these lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and Jesus fought back. Listen, when he was done, he was beat up. And so too in your trials and in my testing, man, it gets hard. And I get racked sometime and I get down and I get broken and the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He says, I'm gonna minister to you. I'm not done with you, but I feel like I just went through a knot hole backwards. You did, but I'm not done. But it's been so difficult in my marriage. Why is it so difficult? And the Lord says, I'm with you. I'm with your hubby. I'm with your wife. I'm, not, I'm with you guys, but it's so tough. I know. I'm working out things that need to get out. I'm working in things that need to be put into you. Trust me. Look at verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding regions. Stop right there, eyes up here. It says, then he returned in the power of the spirit. No matter what you're going through right now, there will be a moment where you return, okay? You will get out of that test. You will get out of that wilderness. I promise you. I've seen it hundreds of times where people go through chaos and upheaval and challenge. Ah, ah. Weeks later, months later, years later, I see them returning to a healthy status through the trial in the spirit of the Lord. Now, I wish I could go ahead of you and remove all the trials and the temptations and tests and troubles. I wish I could. I can't, though. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations, tests and temptations. It's going to happen. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And you who are overwhelmed right now, Some of you aren't. As a matter of fact, some of you have been through craziness and now you're in a relative season of joy. 
in the spirit, you're like, yeah, I could, I could tell you my story. I've been through some other people here right now, though. There's probably at least a couple dozen that you, you question if you're going to get out of this. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just so broken. I am truly messed up. I'm in the, the, I'm in the throes, Luke. I don't know if I'm going to make it financially, if I'm going to make it emotionally. I don't know if I'm going to make it relation. I don't know if I'm going to make it. As a matter of fact, right now, before we go any further, if that's you, you know it. Not you who've been through it and you're doing okay, but you who are, you're pressed. And there's, and there's pain. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes right now. We're just going to pray and do business right now. If that's you and you need the Lord to deliver you and you need to return in the power of the Spirit like Jesus, you need to get to the end of your trial you are desperate for relief, eyes closed. That's you right now. I'm gonna pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to the one who is pressed right now, who is in the throes of temptation and trial and test right now. I pray in Jesus' name that you would commune with them right now. If that's you, you know it's you. You know this prayer is for you, this time is for you, and I would pray in Jesus' name right now that you would just nod in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Right now, just kind of nod in your place. Some of you aren't, some of you are. You would just nod and receive in Jesus' name that power. And Lord, I pray that in the house of God this morning, you would do work and you would break chains, that you would push back the devil, you would bring to the surface that which you're trying to bring to the surface and you would ingrain in the saints here this morning that which you're trying to ingrain in Jesus' name. Do it right now. We join in prayer and we give ourselves over to you. You who are nodding, receive that in your heart. Receive it right now. You just need, you need to repent. You need to be delivered. You need to be forgiven. You need to be restored. You need to be released. I need to be done with this. In Jesus' name, re receive it right now by nodding, by agreeing with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we'll trust you. We'll trust you to do that because this is what you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, notice the fruit though. Look at verse 14. It says, news of him went throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. How is this news going out all around the regions? How are people finding out and hearing about him? Well, he's doing miracles. In other texts, we see that. But really, it's what happens when you and I, when Jesus himself goes through a trial. When he goes through a trial and a temptation, a problem, all of a sudden, other people start to listen. They start to watch. When you and when I go through trials and temptations, God oftentimes creates a platform then to present a finished work to the people who are watching our lives. Most of us aren't that impressed. There's actually two ways that people become famous, through great victories or through great trials. When people go through great victories and everything goes well for them, we look at them and say, yeah, it's good for you. I'm actually kind of jelly. Wish that were mine. We, we're kind of envious of people. But then there's other people who go through great trials and they come out on the other side and there's a greater respect and appreciation for their life. A greater platform is given to them. Jesus, his fame is spreading throughout. Why? Well, he just went through hell and back. And now he's given the opportunity and the authority to preach with a platform of experience. Two of my favorite people, authors and teachers and leaders, one of them is Britt Merrick. He's in California. And I'd listened to Britt Merrick for four or five years. I loved his teachings. He was on fire for Jesus, passionate for the church. And he had a great platform and influence. And then things went weird in his life. His daughter got sick. He had two kids. His daughter got cancer, little Daisy Love, and seven years old. And she battled cancer, and she fought back and won. Ah. And then it came back. And she fought. And she won. And then it came back. And then the third time, she had the ultimate victory. She died. 
And Britt Merrick and his wife, they kind of disappeared for a while off the screen, off the platform. And now they're back. And I'll tell you what, my respect, my ears, my appreciation for him and his wife and their son, Isaiah, for their ministry, now that they've gone through a, a time that I'm not going to volunteer for, okay? They weren't asked to volunteer, though. They went through it. And God, is, God says, I want to use you, Britt. And you might be here this morning and say, Lord, use me. So you want me to use you? Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to give you a platform. I'm going I'm to let your fame spread throughout your family and in your town. Cool. How are we going to do that? Not telling. I won't tell you because you, you might not agree. But I'm here to navigate with you through it. How many of you guys ever heard of the woman, Johnny Erickson Tata? Okay, you've all heard of her. I just told you her name. Just kidding, it's a joke. Johnny Erickson Tata. She's alive this, to this day. She's still in the ministry. She's impacted millions and millions of special needs men and women throughout the world because of her compassion towards those in, in need, uh, physically and mentally handicapped. Johnny Erickson Tata was on her way to being an Olympic swimmer and in the Chesapeake Bay there at age 18, didn't navigate the waters well and dove into some shallow water and paralyzed herself from the shoulders down, quadriplegic to this day. For the next two years, she tried to kill herself, depressed, and her whole life didn't count, and all the rest, and God met her in that position, that platform of trial and testing and temptation. She began to paint with her mouth, put a toothbrush in her mouth, and began to paint. Doesn't sound fun to me. She began to paint. She began to write. She's written over 40 books She's impacted millions. She's married. God's used her. God says, hey, Johnny, I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to just be an Olympic swimmer and do your own thing. I'm going to take, take you through a trial. Now, I don't wish Britt Merrick's trial on myself or anybody or Johnny Erickson Tata's trial on myself or anybody else. Your trial is fine for you, okay? You guys got your own trial. Don't even worry about theirs. That's not the point. The point is when you go through what you go through in your marriage or your chaos or your business loss or your mistakes, when you go through it, God's going to create a platform to use you. When I gave my life back to the Lord at age 20, I had run amok pretty well, done some things I wish I would have never done. And I was lamenting to the Lord one day about some of my wanderings. I said, hey, God, I went crazy. You kind of, I went nuts. And I told her, I said, I wish you would have just kind of thumbed me. Just put your thumb on me. Just kind of stopped me from some of the crazy stuff I did. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Luke, I'm going to use you for the rest of your life with people and in an environment with others who have gone down that road. And you'll have a sensitivity to them and an understanding and a non-judgmental presentation because you've been there. It's not a justification of your mistakes. That doesn't happen. But it is a redemption of your trial, a redemption of where, you, where have you gone? What have you been through? Is there a platform that God would present for you to navigate forward? A couple weeks ago, I was at Fred Meyer's, believe it or not. It had been an hour since I'd been there. We had our groceries again to so go back and... And I know that most of the checkers there, and I went to this one check stand. I just was looking for, you know, the short line, but I saw this one checker. And as soon as she saw me, there was one person in front of me. She saw me and just started crying. And she said, this is crazy. It was my turn now. I think she was talking over. This person thought, of, I don't know what they thought, but she's crying. She said, this is, I, I needed to see you today. I needed to. And I don't know how, how you're here. This is so crazy. I needed to see you here today. And she began to talk about what she was going through. 
And what she was going through, she said, I just don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why I'm going through this. And I couldn't tell her why she's going through this. I don't know anything. I just know I needed groceries. <laughs> I said, well, maybe it's this. Let's take a stab at it. I said, maybe it's not about you. I said, maybe God has you going through this so you would be an offering to somebody else down the road. So, so maybe there's something totally hidden down the road. Maybe God's, it's so confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And she began to cry more. I thought we were both gonna get kicked out of the store, you know? And, and here, maybe it's not even about you. Your, your trial, your situation. Maybe the Lord would say, I'm gonna give you a platform and your fame is going to spread and I'm going to, when you are healed, when you return in the power of the spirit, you're gonna be a part of a life group that ministers to those who've navigated through the difficult waters of divorce. We've actually got people in this church who've gone through unfortunate divorces and have found themselves on the other end, healed, delivered, set free and forgiven. And now they stand at the front and find other people navigating through those difficult waters of divorcing. Can I help you? Can I, can I pray for you? Can I walk with you through this? Can I help you pick up the pieces? Can I counsel you to make right decisions? And how many times have I gone through something? I think, what is this? Why is this? And the Lord says, it's not about you. It's not about you, and it's about those who I want you to empathize with and for you to help out down the road. Look at verse 15. And he taught in the synagogue, being glorified by all, giving of himself, sharing with others. When you have not gone through chaos in life, it's hard to share with people who are in chaos in life. But when you've gone through it, when you've been there, when you've tasted defeat, there is a respect and there is a healing. As a matter of fact, I'll use a verse, you can write it down later and, and look it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus. He's the Father of mercies and the God of comfort who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Stop right there, eyes up here. God says, blessed be the God of mercies. Paul's saying this. Who comforts others through our lives because we received comfort in our trial. Again, you don't need to worry about your trials. Don't even trip. Don't even sweat it, okay? God's got it all figured out. Yours are tailored, custom tailored for you. The next time you go through something unfortunate, may we not bite the hooks that go through our lives and fall into less living, but may we instead say, Lord, help me, heal me, guide me in order that I might help others. Lord, use this in some way. And it might be years before the Lord opens up a platform for you to preach and teach and share with others. He's not gonna share exactly how it's gonna go, but you can take it to the bank today. Notice what else Jesus does. Look at verse uh, 16. It says, so he came to Nazareth. This is right after the trial, right after the temptation, right after the test, right after the trouble. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, underlined and circled in my Bible, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Not only is he given this platform to preach and teach, but he's given this opportunity to join with others in his healing process. He goes to church at home in Nazareth, as was his custom. This was his predecided commitment. He's a church guy. Now, you guys are at church right now, so I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys get this. You're at the 11 a.m. service. Probably wasn't easy to get here. You had to drive somewhere. You had to fight for a parking spot. Some of you had to park in Yahats to get here, you know. 
you get to church and there's limited seating and where am I going to sit? And oh, that person's in my seat. I'm going to have to, you know, give them a five-fold discount, you know, and give them, you know, get out of my, and then you go to the bathroom. You ever been to the bathroom here at church? We have two bathrooms. Like who does that? You know, and there's just so many reasons why you shouldn't go to church and excuses. You guys did it. You're at church today. It's sunny out. You should be gardening right now, but you're not. You're here. Jesus models this right after a trial. He goes to his own. He goes to fellowship. Jesus could have gone to Moby Dick's. He could have gone to the Uptown Pub. He could have gone to the Bayfront. He could have gone to a lot of places, right? But he went to church. Now, again, let me just help you on a grander scale, or maybe I should say a smaller scale. When you're going through trials, testings, temptations, do you have a life group that you're connected to? The wall's over there. There's some open. Even the closed ones, call them, ask them, please let me come to your life group. I need to join a life group. Get involved. It's on you guys. Find a life group. Find somebody to do life with. If it's not a life group, find three or four other like-minded Christians and get Starbucks with them once per week. Give them your number and get their number. Say, let's read the Bible together. Man, when I first got saved, I would find other guys that weren't opposed to getting up at 5 a.m. and we'd get up at 5 and go to Starbucks and read the Bible and buy each other's coffee and pray and just get to know. Do you have a life group? Do you have an accountability group? Do you have somebody that you can go to when you have trials and temptation? If you don't tonight, today, you just need to just repent of that and say, Lord, help me. Give me somebody that I can hold accountable and that can hold me accountable that I can go to. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John get arrested for healing the lame guy and preaching in Jesus' name. And they're kind of roughed up and beat up a little bit. And then they're forbidden to speak the name of Jesus ever again. It's made illegal that day, Acts chapter four. The Bible says, and when they left the council, they went to their own company. That means they're people. They didn't go run amok. They didn't run away. They went to church. And we see Jesus doing this going to find healing right after his testing. And if there's anybody who has an excuse to not go to church, it'd be Jesus. Like he kind of knows more than the pastor did at the time, right? Like you ever, I don't want to go to that church, that pastor, I know more than him anyways. You know, maybe Jesus went to church. Well, that, that church there, it's all messed up. The whole system's all jacked up and organized religion. I don't want anything to do with it. Here's the son of God going to an organized religious system that was all messed up. Oh, yeah, I'm, I would go. I'm just busy. I'm a busy guy. Here's God. Okay. You think he's got like a to-do list, a little big, you know, things going on and he makes time to go to church. Now, again, you guys are here, so I get that, but make that decision. Summertime's coming. Busyness is going to creep in. The way you raise your kids is paramount. Hey, we're a church family. This is what we do. We just, we go to church. Okay. Unless we're sick or have the bubonic plague or something like that, you know, and we stay home, but we're, if it's Sunday, we're there, we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 10 says, as the day gets darker, go more, not less. Okay. Don't pull back. That's Satan's trick. As it gets weirder and crazier and you get weirder and crazier, don't, don't slow down, throttle up, press in to the Lord as the days get darker. Also, I love the fact that he's doing all of this in his hometown. The hardest place to keep your Christianity on is at home. The hardest place to navigate with love and compassion and grace and purpose and energy is right at home. I get men and women all the time come up to me and say, I want to serve. I want to, I want to be a deacon. I want to be a, an elder. I want to do Sunday school. I want to teach a Bible study. And oftentimes in the conversation, it'll come back to their home. Well, how's it going at home? Are you leading your wife and kids at, at home? Are you, is your house in order? Is everything there? Well, I'll figure that out later. I want to be here and I want a platform to preach and teach and share and be a part of the, and I'm the whoa, 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 whoa. Oftentimes the testing ground is at home. 
how you lead your family and how you hold yourself. Jesus starts his ministry off. Where should I start? Nazareth, okay, the hardest place. The, hard, the place where they won't even receive it. They'll kick me out. We'll see that in just a few minutes here. They're gonna throw him off a cliff or at least try to. And I would just put this test on you. Men, women, husbands, wives, moms, dads, to be the leader of your homes. Start there. If you haven't been doing that, if everything's out of control and run amok and just whatever, just repent, okay? Whoops, I just, we've been blowing it. We're just gonna, you know, just gonna, I'm sorry, repent. And then cry out to the Lord and say, God, would you just flood my house with your love, flood my house with your joy? It's exhausting. I live at home with my family. I know what it's like at home. It's, it's hardcore. As a matter of fact, last night I was tucking my kids to bed and I was putting my five-year-old daughter in bed and I prayed for her and then she offered. She said, I, I wanna pray now. She's five, and so she sat up in bed and put her hands like this. I'm not sure where she learned that, but you know, she must have saw it in a movie. So she sat up and started praying. God, I pray for dad. He's got a busy day tomorrow. God, I pray for, for mommy. She's stressed out. She has three kids. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. I pray for mommy. She's stressed out. She has three kids. And I pray for my brothers that they wouldn't mess with me. And I pray. I mean, she has this beautiful prayer as a five-year-old. And as a dad, I'm thinking, yes, her spirituality is growing. It's, it's small, but it's growing. And to model that and ex exemplify that, I would just put it on you, parents. He does this at his hometown. This is where he began to preach and teach and to share. And God was running him through this list where he starts at home and his circles would begin to be broader. Look at verse 16 again. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And then he reads Isaiah 61 verses one and two. Stop right there, eyes up here. I'll read it in a minute. Just, just so you just see this. Jesus comes out of the testing, goes to church, fellowships with other people, goes to his hometown, and then when he gets there, he's like, can I have a Bible? We're gonna read the Bible now. He doesn't ignore all these basic tenets of Christianity. Instead, he implements them. So too, this word, this book, is so basic to our faith, yet so easy to just set down. Have you ever seen dust uh, kind of pile up on your Bible? It's been said before that a Bible that is falling apart usually indicates a life that is not. That if you're in the book and the book is in you, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. It's just the way it is. Satan would love you to not read this book. Jesus shows up to this Bible study at this synagogue on that day, says, give me the book. Now, when they gave him the book, it was a scroll of Isaiah. Now, check this out. On that day, whether Jesus was there or not, they would have been in Isaiah 61. It's just the way it was. It's where they were. Jesus, who is the living word of God and who's given to us this printed living word of God, he knows that wherever you're at in the word is where you're at in your life. He says, give me the book. I'll just read right where it's at. And when I read it, it's going to be so profound, so powerful, and so prolific in your life. This book's crazy. Has this book ever just read your mail? You ever read it? And like, what? 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 You know, this book's alive, and God uses it to search your hearts, to correct you, to encourage you, to confirm every single time. The only thing, the devil doesn't even need to go against this book so much as just get you to put it down. Jesus shows up and says, give me the book, and he reads it. In Isaiah 61, he then stands up and reads what I'm about to read. It's a messianic prophecy. That is a prophecy about the Messiah, 800 years old. Everyone there knew it was about the Messiah. It just so happens the Messiah is at church today. He stands up, reads it, sits down and says, today in your presence, this is being fulfilled. I am what he's talking about. What? Let's read it. It says this, verse 18. Jesus stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, number one. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, number two, to proclaim liberty to the captives, number three, and recovery of sight to the blind, number four, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, number five, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It says in verse 19, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all the eyes that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. This would have been so epic. Jesus Christ, 30 years old, fresh out of the testing grounds, walking at the beginning of his ministry, first day on the job, if you would, here in Nazareth, shows up, stands up, and reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For what? For these five reasons. To deliver, to heal, to lead, to set free, to minister. Just know this. The power of God in Jesus' life was in order to give it away. If you want to be successful, influential, and powerful, if you want to be big stuff here today, that's good. You should. You should want to be big stuff in the way that you serve others, in the way that you bless others. You should want to know more Bible. You should want to have more spirit. You should want to be richer and deeper and more powerful. Why? So I can bless people. I want the anointing. The anointing's on me. Why? So I can give it away. It's not about you and me. There's a weird temptation to want to know more and do more, be more, have more, to just be more. God says, I'm not going to do that. That'll mess you up and it'll make everyone else weird. (sighs) But if you feel yourself, you get up early, husbands. You get up early, dads. Ah, I got to serve my wife and my kids and my family and my, my community, my church. Oh man, Lord, I need the power to do that. God's like, ooh, I like that. Here's the power. Women, wives, moms. Oh, I got to lead my kids and I got to bless them and care for them. Lord, I need more anointing. God says, I like that. I will give myself over to that. If there's an outflow, Jesus says, hey, guess what? I am anointed the spirit for these reasons. These five reasons that he listed, that is listed, that I read to you are all the casualties of sin. Brokenheartedness, blindness, poverty, imprisonment, captivity. Did you you see that? All of this is the problem of sin and the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus comes and says, I can undo all of the problems that sin has brought to this world. All of it. It's in me. It's what I do. I can change what's going on around you. As a matter of fact, he identifies these five. He says, I'm here to preach the gospel to the poor. And sin has brought poverty to our uh, nation. It has brought poverty to our uh, country. It has brought poverty to our globe. Anytime you see poverty at all, okay, you can trace it all the way back to sin and selfishness and corruption somewhere. It's just a mess. It's not the way it's intended to be. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fruit of sin. Brokenheartedness. Sin breaks hearts devastates and damages. Every single time Jesus says, I can heal your brokenheartedness. Sin makes people captive. It takes you and enslaves you. Jesus says, I can liberate you. It gives sight to the blind, Jesus says. I can heal you from your blindedness because sin takes from our sight that which is true. Sin uh, also oppresses its victims and Jesus says, I can liberate you. I can do all of that. It's what I do. Look at verse 20. He said, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I really like this reaction. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all left here in 10 minutes and all of our eyes, spiritual, all of our eyes were on Jesus. We truly were. We're just fixated on him. 
If I, I'm going to leave here after this service. I'm going to go home. And I want to be focused on Jesus. Not myself, not you, not, not them, not they. Jesus. Jesus sat down. They're all, they're all looking at him going, what? Looking right at him. I like this sign. Don't you guys like this sign back here? I just love it. It's, it's, it's Jesus. Just in case you get distracted, you're taking notes. What was he saying? Oh, there it is, Jesus. You, know? you look at your notes later on today. Oh, I wrote down as Jesus a hundred times. You know, That's okay. That's good note taking right there. I would say this for you Bible students. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus read it and sat down. Jesus, though, stopped where there's a comma in verse 2. He, he sat down and he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and Jesus stopped. He didn't keep reading. That comma leads into the next sentence, which says, and the day of vengeance of the Lord. I am the Messiah. I'm here to set free, to liberate, to heal, to give sight, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of God. He didn't say that last part because we're in the middle of the comma still. Jesus is just. There will be a day of vengeance where God balances the scales and makes all things right. It has to happen. There will be judgment. But until then, it is nothing but grace. Until then. This is a 2,000 year long comma. We're right in the comma. Jesus is still healing the brokenhearted and still giving sight and still delivering captives and still healing people. He's still doing that. And there will be a day where he says, all right, it's time to wrap things up. My grace has been sufficient for your needs and it has been extended to the masses. And there will be outcry and there will be challenge, but it will be just. The day of vengeance of the Lord. We're in the comma, 2,000 year long comma. That's some patience right there, isn't it? God waiting, pleading with humanity. Hey, you brokenhearted, you blind, you sinful, you captive, I can, I can help you right now. And he sat down, the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, you know what happens next? Look at verse 22. They ask some questions. So all bore witness of him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Stop right there. It's not totally revealed to us what they say, but isn't this Jojo's kid? Did he just say what I think he said? They were excited Jesus was there. They'd heard of him. Oh, this traveling rabbi's here. Let's hear what he has to say. Give him the book. He grabs the book. He grabs the book, and he doesn't just read the book, but look at verse 21. I don't even know if I read it. I might have skipped it. Verse 21, and he began to say them as, as he sat down, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, up until this point, they were tracking with him. Like, this is some good preaching. It's the text we're in. He, Jesus sits down now and says, today, in case you were wondering when this is going to happen, it's fulfilled in your presence. And in case you're wondering who's going to do it, it's me. I'm this person. And all of a sudden, the train comes to a stop. What, what's that? Didn't you work at JC Market, bro? You were on my T-ball team, man. You grew up here. This is Nazareth. You're JoJo's kid. You're just, did you just say? Now, Jesus had gone through a trial. His fame was spreading. Miracles were happening. So at this point, Jesus stands up and says, yeah, just so you guys know, don't miss it. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's doing this. And he sits down. They then ask him to prove it. This is where, the, this is where it gets weird. He's, he's just stood up. He's pointed to the scripture. He says, I'm it. And they say, well, we'll prove it. He'll go on to rebuke them. 
They're asking for him to now do a miracle to prove that you're the Messiah. Just do something. Give, give me some of that bread, man. I hear you're making bread for people. And I hear you did some water into wine trick. That's pretty cool. Let's try that here at church. You know, whatever. You know, they try and challenge him to doing something. Can I just say something? I counsel people all the time. And I pray for them all the time. And there is two responses every time. After I meet with somebody and counsel with them. Two responses. One is peace, fullness, joy and strength, and we move on. It's awesome. The other is request and demand and more after a council and prayer session. I've prayed for people in Jesus' name and opened my eyes, and their eyes have been open the whole time. They're just waiting for me to get done so they can ask for what they want in the first place. I've been there. There is, though, actually this Friday. This Friday, I was at the Performing Arts Center, Pirate Park, with my kids. They were playing around, and I opened up my Bible, and a couple gals, one at a time, totally separate from each other, saw me and knew me and asked for prayer and counsel, and both of them in real situations, real trials and difficulties, both of them at the end of the prayer time, peace, tears, strength, and hope. I couldn't fix their problem. I can't navigate. And they, didn't, they weren't asking for a fix. They were asking for faith asking for strength. Jesus preaches, hey, I can do all this, and he sits down. One of two responses will happen today. Some of you will say, amen, I can get through this. I can do this. He can heal my brokenness. He can deliver me. He can be my God. That's enough. Let's do this. Other people will reject and say, well, just prove it. I need it now. I need a check. Do something. I need to change this. Let's just read so you know I'm not making this up. Verse 23, they said, aren't you Jojo's kid? And they asked him other questions as well. Well, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. They're asking him to perform miracles and to prove that he is the Messiah, even though he doesn't need to prove it. He is it. Verse 24, then he said to them, hey, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his home country, which by the way, tells two things. Number one, that he is a prophet. And number two, the lack of their acceptance of him is their hard heart, not his problem. When you don't accept the Lord, it's not not because he's not acceptable. (laughs) It's because of your hardened heart. And he nails these guys at his hometown in this Bible study. And he goes on to use two illustrations. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, whatever her name is, in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. This woman, by the way, was a Gentile. And Jesus is saying, even those people then cried out for help and things and deliverance because they had hardened hearts toward God and God only sent himself to a Gentile woman. Verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile. And so what Jesus begins to tell these guys at Nazareth at this Bible study, I'm the Messiah. And they said, well, prove it. Do some miracles. Do what you did in Capernaum. We heard you're doing stuff, man. Check, check. Hey, if that's the best miracle I ever do, that just shows how foolish I am. Jesus had given them the word, the word, the word. That's enough. 
I'm telling you what, Christian. They ask for a miracle. Jesus does a miracle right here. Let's read it. It's not the miracle you want him to perform. You do not want Jesus to perform this next miracle in your life. This miracle scares me. Verse 30. We're going to get there in a minute, but read verse 28 first. So all those who were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Stop right there, eyes up here. Now, every pastor's kind of looking for some sort of impact on his crowd, some sort of involvement. One pastor said, I've got 100 involved members at my church, 100 active members, 50 are active for me and 50 are active against me. You know, people, and here's the, a pastor's not looking for this type of reaction, though. Jesus wasn't afraid to tell it how it is. He tells them the truth about who he is. They demand more miracles. He says, look, Elijah and Elisha, they weren't sent to the masses, but to the, the marginal, to the ones who would receive it, to the ones who needed it. And they were so mad, they stood up and grabbed him and brought him out to the cliff, verse 30. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. How in the world did that happen? You don't just let somebody like this out from your hook, from your grab. You don't just let this happen unless, of course, Jesus does a miracle in their midst and just disappears. He miraculously, in a miracle that they weren't asking for or wanting, vanished from their presence because they wouldn't have him. They wouldn't receive him. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a song. They wanted Jesus to produce and to present and to perform. Jesus says, you know what, to be honest, that's not gonna get you. That's not actually gonna get your heart. One performance, one presentation will just lead to a demand of another. What you really need is my word in your heart, accepted and embedded. I'm gonna be honest with you, on Friday when I was at the Performing Arts Center, I really didn't wanna pray for anybody. Just, you ever be there, you ever, you ever there before? And these two gals, it was actually the Lord. These two gals sat next to me one at a time. I said, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be a part of ministering to people. I can't fix their problems. But through your word and through prayer and through your presence, we can tap into the person of Jesus, and we did that. And there was miracles that happened at the pirate park on Friday. Faith. And that same faith, that same gift is yours and mine today. What's your trial? What's your situation? Where are you at right now? And you might say, oh, Lord, I just... I'm going to let you figure out how this is going to roll. But I am brokenhearted. I am blind. I am sinful. I am captive. I need you to set me free. Would you do that for me, Jesus? Would you be God? Would you proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in my life? And then let the Lord do it. Don't demand and command and require him to do anything above and beyond that, what he's already done. God will be faithful to you. He has been faithful thus far. I'm going to have you close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray to God and give our lives to him by way of submission and worship and receiving of communion. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your tenderness towards us, for your commitment to us, for walking the path for us, for giving yourself on the cross instead of us. And now we come to this place this morning. And Lord, if I could stand up here with the magic wand and hear everyone's problems and wave the wand over them and heal it, I would. But I can't. But what I can do is I can invite people to the table 
to the table of communion, to be, Lord, forgiven, to be reminded, to be set free, to be encouraged that who has gone before us is now with us, that he who fought sin and death fought victoriously and rose for us. And in Jesus' name now, we proclaim your death until you return. And if you're here this morning and you would say, that's enough for me. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you're a Christian, you've been struggling. Maybe you're a non-Christian and you want to become a Christian today and you'd say, that's enough for me. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been looking for other things and demanding and you've been all uptight and anxious and you would say, you know what, that's enough for me. What Jesus said, that's enough for me. Would you just submit to him and raise your hand right now? Just say, that's enough. That's enough for me. I'm going to give it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. That is enough for me. And I see hands up. Submit to him right now and say, Lord, you're good, you're God, and I receive you again. I receive you the first time, Lord. I give my life to you. You're enough. Lord, I do too. My hand is up too. You're enough for me, Jesus. I love you. We love you. We worship you. Lead us now in this time of communion. Heal our hearts. Restore our blindness. Set free the captives. Minister, Lord, to the impoverished. Thank you, Jesus. This is who you are and what you do. We now receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.